Welcome to the Paychex HR Leadership Podcast Series. Today's topic is holistic well-being. Our guest speaker is Steve Bose, co-chair of the HR Technology Conference, the leading global event for the HR technology industry, and a technology columnist for Human Resource Executive Magazine. Additionally, Steve co-founded H3 HR Advisors, Inc., and is a frequent author and speaker on human resources, HR technology, and the workplace. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us. That's great to be here. So today we're going to be talking about well-being. I thought maybe even to start, you can clarify the difference between well-being and wellness. I've heard about wellness programs for a long time, but well-being is something a little different. It's a great question, and it's important to set that context for the discussion. Traditionally, wellness right, was thought of, especially in the corporate sense, as really manifesting in physical characteristics, health, medical claims, whether or not people could be physically showing up to work or whether or not they were taking absences, and what was the experience of the employer in terms of their dealing with medical issues and medical costs. Over time, organizations have found that thinking about well-being in a more comprehensive or holistic manner was not only preferable and better for the employees, but also better for the organization. So a more holistic approach to wellness incorporates aspects of physical health, but also incorporates much more like mental health, financial health, social health, even spiritual health in some organizations, and community as well. And that's a big factor, too, whether or not people are finding friends at work and they're connecting with each other at work, whether they're effectively collaborating at work and whether they feel good about coming to work. So well-being is a much more holistic kind of look at all the things that factor into whether or not a person is good and happy and productive in the organization. Makes a lot of sense. Were there factors that came into play that led organizations to make that shift? It seems very progressive in terms of thinking. I think a couple of things. One is many organizations who were undertaking traditional wellness programs, which again were focused on very finite and quantitative elements of medical claims, absences, etc., were not finding success with those programs. So they weren't necessarily driving all the costs out of their medical claims that they were hoping to. They weren't necessarily improving individual employees' health outcomes. Often these types of wellness programs that were focused on medical and physical health often were interpreted as punitive by employees. So the example would be an employer would come to you and say, Rob, you must take this health risk assessment, and if you don't, we're going to charge you more every month for your medical copay. Well, Rob, you admitted on your <laughs> health risk assessment that you're an occasional smoker. Therefore, unless you quit smoking, right now we're going to charge you more for your medical copay. And so while the employer might have thought, hey, we're sort of helping the employee to adopt more healthy behaviors, Employees kind of saw through that and said, what they're really after is to change my behavior for their own purposes. They don't really care about me as an employee. They care about their own medical costs. And so that was part of the reason. That was one. And secondly, like many things that have changed in the workplace that impacted work and workplaces, attitudes have changed as well, especially with younger cohorts into the workplace who are thinking much more holistically themselves about the kinds of places that they want to work, right? I want to work at a place that not only compensates me fairly, and gives me interesting work to do, but also cares about me. They're concerned about me, my development, both as an employee and as a person, right? Employees are increasingly making decisions around what organizations to join and whether or not to stay in an organization based on a myriad number of factors. And I'd argue including whether or not that employer 
does truly express care about them as in a whole person, which manifests often in this idea of holistic approaches to employee wellness. So those are the two reasons I think that we've seen these shifts. So I can see why this is an important focus area for HR leaders, especially considering the tight labor market today. Oh, employers of all sizes in every industry all around the country are facing one of the tightest labor markets arguably in 50 years, right? So whether it's you're recruiting truck drivers for a logistics company, you're recruiting developers for a high-tech company in Palo Alto, or you're recruiting retail staff, right, for a restaurant or a, any kind of a retail store, it is difficult to find people and it's difficult to hold on to people. Deloitte recently did their millennial survey, 2019, it came out recently. The reasons why people are leaving their jobs are increasingly beyond just straight up compensation. They're about, does my employer care about me? Are there development opportunities? Am I invested in the mission of the organization? Well-being plays into many of those factors that are helping people make the determination about where they would like to work and where they would like to continue to stay to work. What you don't want to be in as an employer is losing out on good employees because of a 25 cent an hour raise or a $1,000 a month raise that maybe you are not prepared to give, but if there are other factors that you can bring into play, like expressing that we really care about the person, their entire person, that you have a much more competitive position in terms of recruiting as well as retention. In this labor market, every edge that an employer can come up with to help them compete is going to be needed. That certainly is the case. It sounds to me, too, like what you're saying is when I'm retaining the employees, they're going to be happier, more engaged, better employees. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in, in a simple motto, maybe, or a treatise about work is most people want to do well at work. They want to do a good job. They want to be successful no matter what their job is. They want to leave work every day thinking, yeah, I did well at this. I performed well. I feel good about what I did today. Think about all the things that you carry into work in the workplace. Things like an awful commute that can happen to many employers, right? You've wrestled with traffic for 40 minutes, right? Stressed out, gripping that wheel, say, or, or on a crowded bus in mass transit before you get to the workplace. Think about the things maybe in your home life, concerns around maybe financial insecurity, concerns about health, maybe concerns about a family member or a child. Increasingly, for a large generation of the workforce, we call them sort of the sandwich generation, right? They're wrestling with childcare, right, which is a whole nother ball of wax of how stressful that is for most employees, as well as elder care, right, if you've got aging parents or other relatives that require increasing amounts of care, and that burden is on you. There are so many things, not to mention the news. Reading the news can be stressful, right, every day, right, in the last few years here in the United States. Employees are bringing all these things with them to work, right, and every single one of those contributes negatively to their ability to perform at their highest level at work. Not only are they stressed, because many or, or some of these things are happening in their lives, which is causing them stress, they're stressed because they know when their performance is not up to par. They know when they're struggling. They know if the boss comes down and say, hey, Steve, you know, we noticed you didn't really, you weren't really concentrating that hard in that meeting, what's going on with you? And meanwhile, you're thinking, oh my God, my son's student loan payment is coming due and how do I help him pay it, et cetera, et cetera. HR leaders should care about this for many reasons, right? Certainly not the least of which is, hey, it's the right thing to do, right? HR is in the people business. But secondarily, right, all the other things that accrue positively to having employees better prepared for dealing with all the things that can stress them in their lives, physical, mental, social, community, all those things that are in their way, if you as an HR leader can begin to work to help these people help themselves, begin to lessen, and in some cases really try to remove barriers to them succeeding, then that's good for not only the people, it's really good for the organization, really good for the business. For me, if I was running an HR department or an HR organization, I'd be thinking about this every day. 
it sounds like a really big task to take on the well-being of your entire workforce and the total well-being. How do you start even approaching this issue? It takes a little bit of an understanding about your employees, right? Where are your employees coming from? Where are they going? Demographics come into play as well. Say, for example, if you're an organization, like a big consulting firm, right, that might be hiring lots of recent college graduates, well, we know that the amount of student loan debt in the United States is in the trillions of dollars, right? It's never been higher. The average student loan payment is probably about $300 a month right now. Students all across America are struggling, right, paying their student loans back. The default rate is over 10%. If that default rate on other types of loans is over 10%, like, say, mortgages, we'd have a crisis just like we did in 2008. So for example, if you understand my employee base is made up of lots and lots of people who are in this situation, what can we do to help them alleviate it? So you might then say, let's explore the opportunity of creating a student loan repayment benefit. We can you know, do some sort of matching on them or we can kind of let them earn credit towards their student loan repayments, et cetera. So that might be one thing to look at. If you have another group of employees maybe who are working in really tough physical circumstances, right? and you're losing a lot of time due to physical conditions, maybe chronic issues as well, you might look at well-being from a different perspective. You might not think about it more as, well, student loan benefits are not as important to us, but more comprehensive in early care to alleviate more chronic conditions caused by repetitive stress injuries, et cetera, might be the way to go. Ultimately, though, some of these things are kind of universal, too, and I'll just throw one other element out there that's typically part of a comprehensive well-being program, which is mental health, right? We don't really think about that as often or it hasn't traditionally been thought about in the workplace, but some estimates suggest as many as 25% of people will be diagnosed with some kind of mental health condition in their lifetimes, and that cuts across all demographics, all age groups, and all parts of the country, right? So if I'm a thousand-person employer, I might look at that and say, boy, it's quite likely that at some point in their employment, a couple hundred of my folks are going to be dealing with a mental health issue, which will ultimately contribute to them missing time at work, being less productive, being less engaged, and many of them leaving the organization. I think there's two ways to look at it. One way is to really think about my organization and the people, ask them, survey them what they need. And secondarily, I think there's some issues that cut across just about every size organization, every type of organization, and probably should be a part of a holistic program. So it sounds like holistic well-being extends really way beyond the HR department. I could see leaders and managers playing a huge role in this. The most important relationship in just about every employment life cycle is the employee and manager relationship or the employee supervisor relationship. And that's true not only just for their experience at work, it's true for their employee development. I think it's also true when we talk about wellness and well-being. And it's not easy for managers. I think frontline managers have a really tough job in many circumstances, and it's probably incumbent on organizational leadership and HR leadership to be open with management about these topics and these concerns and these issues, providing them with better education and tools and strategies to recognize problems or challenges when an employee might be struggling with something that's happening outside of work, whether it's physical or mental or emotional or family life, et cetera. It's important for managers to understand that employees are bringing with them, as we said earlier, carrying a lot of baggage, right, into the workplace every day. And, and it used to be, right, the old school kind of way of looking at work, and, and maybe it still is the case in some organizations, is that once you get to work, you've got to forget all that other stuff, put all that aside, you've got to focus on your work, and you've got to focus on your job, do your job, and be quiet, right, because we're paying you to do this job and leave. And there's some 
element of truth to that, but there's some reasons why that relationship or that contract or agreement doesn't work as well as it used to. One, we mentioned, right, employees have increasingly more opportunities to move. Labor market's really strong. Anybody who's got any kind of skill that's in demand usually can move on if they choose to. And secondly, the expectations, right? I'll give it an example here. Recently, in the National Basketball League, NBA players who, by any account, have some of the best jobs in the country, right? They're famous, they're extremely well compensated, they're doing the job they love for the most part and they've trained their whole lives to do. Increasingly though, some very prominent national basketball players have talked openly and honestly about struggling with mental health issues and how sometimes it does affect their performance in the workplace. And you think if there's any other job where we would say, oh, stop it, you know, don't worry about that, just do your job, you have all these perks and benefits, you've got such a quote unquote great job, why are you complaining? Well, the fact that these players and others like them have been open and honest about talking about these problems reminds us that we all can talk about them as well. If a $10 million a year national basketball player can say, hey, I'm having some issues with my mental health and I want to talk about that and I might need some assistance, I might need some counseling, and it does affect sometimes the way I show up at work, then I think it's fair game for all of us to say, hey, it's okay to think about issues, concerns, and stresses outside the workplace and how as employers and how as managers can we get better about taking care of our people such that they can, as I said, do their jobs as well as they can because that's what they really want to do. It feels like communication even just to the employees is a huge part of this as well. They need to know how to take advantage of these opportunities that companies are providing across all these facets of well-being. That's a really good point. Pretty much right. Most employers don't accrue the benefit of all the different services and programs and benefits they offer their employees. They are often underutilized, right? Most employers for a long time had things like, they might have had wellness services as part of a medical plan. They might have had employee assistance programs, right? They were available just a phone call away they have been traditionally really underutilized. I think there are two reasons for that. Part of it, as you said, Rob, is communication and understanding that these services and these capabilities exist. So if you are an employer, say you're launching a new mental health benefit where you're offering, say, access to online and chat-based counselors to employees 24 by seven, or a new student loan repayment benefit for qualified employees, the company can help them contribute to the repayment of their student loans. The first thing you've got to do, as in any HR and learning and development type initiative, is make sure you are communicating the heck out of that program as often and as frequently as you can and making sure that you're recruiting some internal champions to help you spread that message. I think that's the first part, and that's obvious. All HR leaders know this, right? We know we must communicate, communicate, communicate. And even still, that can be not always effective, right? We know people are busy. They don't always like to read every communication that comes from the HR department necessarily. So another element of this, I think, is an element of sort of modeling. And there's two things that we've talked about that I think that are important in your plays as well. One is in the, the NBA player example we talked about a minute ago. The fact that some high-profile people are openly talking about these problems makes it okay for other people to talk about these problems. So that's one, creating an environment that makes it okay to discuss things like health, well-being, wellness, community, financial planning, etc. There's no stigma attached to it. It's okay that you don't feel well. It's okay that you're stressed. It's okay that you're really concerned about taking care of your mom or dad who's maybe having some of their own medical issues. And it's okay that we talk about it in the organization, that we've not decided all of those things are your problem, employee, take care of them on your own time. 
And then secondly, it's that leadership. I'm not saying we all need to be best friends at work or we need to know everything about each other, but we do need to express empathy and concern and care for each other in the workplace. So just the fact that a manager, say, just simply ask their employees, hey, how are you? How are you feeling? How are things? Not necessarily probing into you know, how's your elderly grandma today, right? We don't have to go there, but just to express that, hey, we understand that there's more to you as a person than just what you do here when you've clocked in and that we care about you. And that's not always easy to do. I'll tell you this, I've had a hard time doing it myself, right? It's not in my nature necessarily to open up or to try to get people to open up to you. So it takes small steps, right? And it takes people kind of modeling the right behavior and starting to create step-by-step an environment where it's okay for us to talk about these things in a more open and honest manner. And I think if we do that, you know, both in the workplace and outside the workplace, that's really a big step towards creating healthier workplaces and creating healthier people. Here at Paychex, they've really worked to make time for those conversations. They've insisted that managers have one-on-ones with all the employees, and that is the employee's time to discuss whatever their concerns are, whatever they're feeling. It could be work, could be career, could be development, or it could be what's happening in their home life. I found that a very effective tool in terms of getting people to open up, and it's a very cultural thing here at Paychex. Have you seen that at other organizations? Yeah, I'm starting to see it more and more, and you guys are modeling that behavior really well. I know I'm familiar with some of the advances and the evolution of, I don't know if you call it that anymore, but we used to be called performance management, for lack of a better word, right, in many organizations. And performance management is interesting because it plays into this. As you say, performance management is evolving in many organizations, right, and that's great. But this idea that we can say, hey, encourage managers and leaders when they do these, whether it's weekly or biweekly, whatever your cadence that makes sense for your organization, when you're doing these check-ins, these discussions with the employees in a one-on-one fashion, that you're, sure, you're focusing on project deadlines and acquisition of skills and collaboration across the organization and sales targets, whatever the case may be, of course you're focusing on them. It's kind of why we're here, right, in, in the organization, is to achieve our objectives, both individually and in the team and in the organization. But it's also important that the organization, and that goes from HR to leadership on down to the frontline managers, to carve out some of that time in these check-ins for time for the employee, if they care to, to talk about how they're feeling, how they're doing, what's getting in their way of succeeding. And that conversation always used to be only, oh, I need better software on my laptop, or Joe from marketing is not calling me back, and those things may still come up, but increasingly allowing employees space to talk about the things that are outside of the traditional four walls of the workplace that may be an impediment to them doing their best work. We know these things are all happening. We know there's a student loan crisis in America. We know there's a mental health crisis in America. We know, sadly, that many Americans are struggling with chronic disease, right? And that number is only getting worse. And we know just from watching the news that there's a lot of discord just out in the ether that people are carrying with them every day. So ignoring those things and pretending that they don't have an impact on people in the workplace, I think is just silly. Being intentional about creating space for managers to lead in this area, I think is important. It sounds like you're doing a lot of that here at Paychex. So we've talked about what a big issue this is to tackle, what a big undertaking it is. Are there technological tools available to smooth out the process in any way? Fortunately for my position as co-chair of the HR Technology Conference, I get to see a lot of new and emerging technologies than I have for the last six or seven years. One of the areas that's been really just rife with innovation 
is in the well-being space and in the benefit space in general. So technology companies are great because they're great at sort of sensing a problem and trying to develop a technology solution to help organizations and help people address that problem. So there are great tools that have emerged on the market that help organizations manage many of the specific things we've talked about that are part of a comprehensive well-being program. So things like elder care. I've talked with two startup companies in the last year or so that provide tools and technologies and a platform that a company can tie into to help their employees navigate elder care. Just that one issue alone. I've seen similar ones with childcare around special needs children, which is a significant issue for any parent who's dealing with a child with special needs. Student loan repayment support. Let's say you're a large company, maybe you're a couple of thousand employees. You might have several hundred employees who are eligible for student loan repayment support. Well, that's kind of a burden to manage, right? Manually, certainly. So there are platforms that have emerged that help you figure out eligibility for the benefit, enrollment in the benefit, facilitate the payments and the moving of the money around to the various student loan providers, et cetera to help you facilitate that. And then taking a sort of a bigger step back, there are some great platform solutions that have emerged in the last, mm, say, five to 10 years that can help organizations manage well-being more comprehensively. So they're a little bit more platform-based that allow employees to go almost to like a portal to access things like telehealth, to access resources and support around things like managing of chronic disease, financial planning and financial wellness, which we've talked about a little bit, and even mental health as well. So you're taking employees and saying, here's the portal that you can use to manage all elements of our program. And those are really powerful too because we don't always know right, what people need individually. We know, again, the statistics tell us that 25% of our people are probably struggling with mental health. 10% are probably struggling in, with financial problems. Some percent have elder and childcare issues. And some percent are just, they're just stressed out, right? And so we may not know exactly what every person needs individually, and we may not be comfortable talking about their individual needs, say, especially as a manager, but we can take them to a place where all the support and the resources that we offer them are available here, and we can help them navigate through all of those offerings. Are we starting to see the ability for HR leaders to measure the well-being of their organization and see if the changes they're making are having an impact? Yeah, so measurement has always been critical. We go back to the beginning of the discussion and we started to talk about what's the difference between wellness and well-being. Well, wellness was centered around a couple of numbers, right? Medical claims cost. That was usually the number we focused on. And then secondarily, we usually focused on absenteeism due to sickness, right? That would be the second number. The climate of measurement around wellness and well-being is well-established, right? Most HR and benefit leaders probably were never able to implement wellness in the first place without that kind of a rationale and that kind of support from, say, the CFO or the C-suite. But now we can look at well-being slightly more comprehensively and we start to think about the other metrics that we can measure that are affected by well-being. So certainly medical claims cost is still one, absenteeism is another, but even things like productivity right, how people are collaborating across the organization. Retention and recruiting, right, the reasons people are leaving the organization. Are people leaving the organization to just go chase a few more dollars somewhere down the road? And are there things we can do to mitigate against that? Are there opportunities to improve things like the overall health in the workplace, community workplace? And sometimes those things are a little bit difficult to measure. But we mentioned performance management evolving a little bit and kind of moving toward more check-in kind of situation where we're asking employees different questions. 
An element of that, which is supported by many technologies, has come up too, is this idea of like more frequent surveying of the employee base. It's interesting, there's two things here. One is, we used to kind of survey the workforce about once per year, and we called that the employee engagement survey. And we asked a lot of questions about, how's your manager, how's the team you work with, how's the collaboration, you know, and we'd come up with a number that are more or less engaged. But now the tools have evolved to support much more regular and less formal kinds of surveying capabilities. We can ask people things like, how are you feeling? Did you have a good day? Just asking the simple question of, did you have a good day today? is an incredibly telling piece of information when kind of benchmarked and then looked at over time. When we used to ask about, how do you feel about collaboration with the marketing team? If the scores were low on that, we'd have somebody go yell at the marketing team, maybe, right? And maybe that would solve a problem and maybe it won't. But as a manager or leader, if you see a trend of, how are people feeling today? You see that going down, people are feeling worse over time. That's a much more significant kind of piece of data and something that is worth exploring in more detail. So I think we could come up with it someday, like an overall kind of engagement matrix for an organization and an engagement score or a well-being score, perhaps is a better way to say it. But there are a lot of things we can measure and are directly or indirectly impacted by the well-being of the workplace. Kind of a net promoter score for uh, well-being. Yeah. I'll tell a quick story. The first time I ever heard about anybody doing this was incredibly low-tech. It was a small office, had maybe 50 people, it was a consulting company, and it was the kind of office where most about everybody came to that same office to work every day. They weren't remote workers. By the door, the exit door, everybody came in and out. There were three like waste paper cans, three trash cans, essentially. The first can, at the end of the day, was full of tennis balls. And the middle can had a sign on it that said, I had a good day. The third can said, I had a bad day. And when you left the office, you'd grab a tennis ball and you'd put the ball in the appropriate can and you would leave. And the next morning, the office manager or someone would go in and tally up the balls in the cans and they post them up on the company's intranet. So every time you logged into your computer for the next day, it would say, okay, it's July 16th, yesterday's score, 17 good days, 37 bad days. And they would track it and they would show everybody every single day what the good days were and the bad days were. And the guys who owned the company, it was just a privately held company that knew this, over time the numbers kept getting worse and they had to figure out why. And they might not have known otherwise, even in a small company like that, what is going on in the workplace? And they were able to just take that simple little metric, right, the tennis ball metric, to figure out, hey, we need to talk to our workers about what's going on here. That's really interesting. That leads me to believe that I really do have to shift my entire workforce. If two-thirds of my workforce is having a bad day, it's going to be tough for that last third to keep their heads above water. We all have that story of the person who's just, they're struggling or they're just crabby or they're in a bad mood and they kind of bring down the team, right? They bring down the whole work group or they can even bring down the organization if allowed to linger long enough. Employees are pretty good too at helping each other, I think. Maybe they don't have all the tools or the capabilities to do it, but they understand, they get to know each other and often they really care about each other too. And so I think it's important, again, this goes back to that kind of transparency, trust, openness and willingness. It's gotta be okay for people to speak up to each other, to their manager, and even the managers themselves. If it's okay for a senior leader in the organization to say, yeah, you know, I need to take a little time. I'm a little bit stressed. I'm gonna take a little bit of time off. I'm gonna spend a little bit more time with my family, right, this summer, et cetera. Or I'm gonna model a certain set of behaviors, right, because I know that that's important in the organization for our overall well-being of the workplace. We haven't talked about work-life balance at all, right? And uh, it's interesting because all of these external factors impact an employee's well-being or any individual's well-being, right? Financial, health, childcare, et cetera, et cetera. We haven't talked at all about the work itself, right? 
creating a situation where people are feeling stressed and are feeling unwell. And that maybe is HR and management's most primary lever that they can control to make sure they have a healthier workplace and healthier employees. Sounds like a real leadership challenge. I've got to think more about just leading the business, but leading the workforce. I was over in China not too long ago. They have a tech scene there and it's go, it's hard charging, right? They're trying to grow. They're trying to take over the world in many respects in technology. And they have a kind of work style in many of these high tech companies and it's called 996. And I'd never heard of it before getting over there. And so what 996 is, to be a tech worker in many of these Chinese high tech companies, you're expected to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m six days a week. That's the 996 schedule. The context in which the people were talking about at the event I was at was, hey, we can't keep doing this. We're going to burn out every talented individual that we can hire. It's not right, it doesn't make any sense, it's not good for our companies, it's not good for people, it's not good for their families, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's kind of a blatant example. There probably aren't many American companies or folks listening to this that would advocate having all their employees work that kind of incredibly arduous schedule. But it's illustrative of the point that hey, if that's what's being modeled culturally in the organization from the top down, this is what the expectations are. This is how we're going to work. This is how long we're going to work. This is how we're going to treat each other. This is how success is going to be valued and measured, right? That's another element of it. This is how people will get ahead at the organization, right? All of those things are contributing factors. Certainly complex, right? I can't sit here and tell you, oh, here's the key to all of this, right? The systems, the processes, the cultural environment, the way we interact with each other, and most particularly what's expected and what gets rewarded have just direct impact on whether or not people are going to be okay and they're going to feel well. That's great. That's a nice lead-in to bringing this home. Where do we see well-being heading in the next few years? So I get to talk to a lot of HR leaders, right? It's part of what I do for the HR Tech Conference and part of what I do for my HR Happy Hour show. One of the questions I like to ask HR leaders is, what is really consuming you? What are you spending a lot of time on, right? And sometimes I get really interesting answers. I talked to a CHRO from a big tech company not too long ago, and she told me, I'm spending almost 50% of my time on diversity and inclusion initiatives. Another CHRO I talked to just a couple of days ago told me, we're growing really fast and I'm spending a predominant amount of my time on making sure our leadership development pipeline is where it needs to be. Great answers both, right? Both important things. Here's where I think this is going to be going. As I start to ask CHROs that question, and maybe you ask that question of yourself if you're listening to this, I think the answer is going to become more and more. I'm concerned about the well-being of our organization, the well-being of our teams, and the well-being of our people. I think it's going to become of primary concern to HR leaders, maybe more so than it ever has been. Traditionally, the domain of people who are concerned about benefits cost management, people who are concerned about absenteeism and things like that, I think it's going to become more and more kind of a key component of is our talent management strategy in alignment with our business strategy, and can our talent support the business in the way that it needs to be supported? Skills development is probably one half of that coin. Do we have the right skills we need to support our business objectives? I think the other half is going to be, are people in a place where they are mentally, physically, emotionally, financially part of that community where they can help support that objective? I think it's going to become of primary concern to almost all organizations moving forward. And again, as we talked about earlier, I think more and more employees will become aware of what employers are doing to support their well-being. They'll make their decisions about whether or not to join or stay an employer based on their employer's willingness, capacity, and trust to support their well-being. I think it's going to become 
a significantly more important issue than it is now. It's great, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today. I certainly learned a lot. Well, great. It's been great to be here. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. Visit payx.me slash well-being for more information about this topic, including a downloadable benefits planning guide and workbook.